Welcome to the Bruin Success Podcast. My name is Kelsey Bysecker, and I serve as Associate Director of Alumni Career Engagement with UCLA Alumni Affairs. And I'm here with our co-host, Sarah Bosgrove, Assistant Director of Alumni Career Engagement. This season on Bruin Success, we're featuring career changers. From studying one degree and deciding to go on another path to pivoting later in your career, we want to normalize that change happens and chat with Bruins who have gone through it. Today's guest is Corey Matthews. Corey currently serves as a Vice President of Global Philanthropy with J.P. Morgan Chase & Company, where he helps to manage a grant portfolio in Los Angeles that aligns with the strategic impact objectives of the company. He also plays a key role in building partnerships to bolster the company's overarching corporate responsibility initiatives in the region. Previously, Corey served as, as the Chief Operating Officer of Community Coalition, a permanent community-based institution in South Los Angeles, where he participated on the executive team to advance the robust policy agenda, direct operations, guide organization-wide strategic planning processes, and launch key projects. He holds both a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology and a Master of Arts in Urban Education from UCLA and a Master of Public Policy from UC Berkeley. Welcome, Corey, to the podcast. Welcome to the Bruin Success Podcast, Corey. We're so excited to have you here. Thank you. To start off, tell us about what you studied at UCLA and what you did leading up to this current role. Oh, okay. So I will... I'm going to I'm going to give a quick origin story just to kind of ground us a bit. So I ended up studying psychology at UCLA, but it's a funny story how I fell into that. It's going to date me a bit, but I went to UCLA wanting to be like Jamie Lee Curtis from that movie Freaky Friday, where she was a therapist. She sat down and, you know, everybody just she was on her couch recliner or whatever and everybody just sort of talked because I was a peer helper in high school and so that was my thinking I was like I'm gonna totally go to UCLA I'm just there little did I know that psychology at UCLA is very sciencey and so after you know finding out that I had to take courses akin to biology neuroscience cognitive science I was like okay so that Sort of dream is slipping away a bit, but at the same time, I was developing a lot of leadership skills and having a lot of experiences being involved on campus. And so I joined the fraternity, I was a part of the African Student Union and a host of other organizations and programs. And then I also began to do research in education. And so I began to look at the impacts of an urban educational environment on African-American men, such as myself. And I began to actually think about the opportunities that were afforded to me because I was blessed to school um, all the way from my home. I'm from South Central LA, but I was blessed to school on the West side from the sixth grade to the 12th grade. And just the amount of experiences and opportunities that I got exposed to because of the type of schooling context that I had, which is vastly different than the homeschooling uh, context that I would have had if I went to my, my neighborhood school. So all that to say that I was at UCLA sort of just saying, well, you know what? I'm doing psychology. They told me to get in and get out in four years. 
first generation college students didn't know very much about how this whole thing was supposed to work. I was only supposed to exit with the degree. So I had already started it. And so I was just going to go forward with that. And we'll get back to Jamie Lee Curtis later. And um, I went ahead and uh, started graduate school right after UCLA undergrad in urban education. And I had all these dreams that I was going to be this professor. But as I was thinking about the um, academic space and the ivory tower, I was sort of grieving the fact that it was so disconnected from people on the ground, just by design. Um, you know, so I was going to these conferences, doing these publications, and I was just like, where are the teachers at? Where are the people who are working with the kids? We're studying it, but we're not the ones on the ground. And so I got really, really, really uh, just sort of uh, disillusioned about like what academia is and what it isn't. I ended up leaving to go to um, to New York, and in New York, I worked in think tanks, and I began to get really interested beyond education into the school to prison pipeline. So I transitioned over into working in the criminal justice field, and then I had all these dreams that I was going to go to business school. I'm going to go to business school to start a social justice organization in South Central that works on criminal justice, education, et cetera. So I went to this conference and it was happenstance that one person pulls me inside and says, Corey, after hearing you speak about your interest, uh, you might be more of a fit for policy school. And I was like, oh my God, what's policy school? I had no idea. And they were like, well, it's sort of like business school, but the bottom line for business school is profits, whereas the bottom line for policy is people. And she said, you seem to care more about people. And I said, oh, my God, I totally do. So I would have about two weeks uh, to go and change all of my business school applications to policy school applications and notify my professors who at this time have been so graciously walking with me since my freshman year that I was now going to go to policy school because they were like, first, you, you leave a program, you go to New York. You're now doing all these different things. And like, Corey, who are you? Like, let's stabilize it. So I was like, this is it, you all. This is it. I'm going to policy school. I'm going to start this organization. I'm going to work in government. And this is my life, right? So two weeks to apply, went ahead, and I actually uh, got into Berkeley and got a fellowship to go there. So that brought me back to California. And then I moved from criminal justice into thinking about affordable housing and workforce. And so now at this point, I've now collected all these policy arenas from education and criminal justice to workforce, housing. So in my mind, all of these things are interconnected. But in the way in which the world works, these are all separate entities, separate agencies, separate stakeholders, separate coalitions, separate groups that are focusing on these areas. And so I then began to get a little bit disillusioned about government. I'm like, it's too siloed. We need to find a way to have a much more cohesive approach to these issues. And so I would then work for a startup organization that was with the Starbucks Corporation focusing on closing the gap between those who are disconnected from school and work to full-time employment opportunities with Starbucks and all of the supply chain um, companies. And so I did that for a few years. Then I went to become a chief operating officer at a, a organization called Community Coalition in South LA, which actually worked on the exact same issues that I wrote about in my personal statement to go to, to policy school. And I had no idea it existed, but it's been around for 30 plus years. And so, you know, happenstance, went there. 
And then most recently, I was recruited to come over to work for JP Morgan Chase, help to lead their philanthropy efforts in Los Angeles. And so that's a little bit about my origin and just in the mind and the musings of a first generation person that just was trying to figure it out and also was not going to sacrifice my passion and my belief that we can do things a lot better and a lot more efficiently. First of all, I love that Freaky Friday was a part of this origin story. I, I love that movie. That. I love that. <laughs> love um, that movie. But second of all, wow, what an incredible journey. It sounds like you've worn many hats along the way to your current role. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what you're doing at JP Morgan now? Um, a little sure. bit of the the overview of the role and the responsibilities? Absolutely. So at JP Morgan, like many companies, there is a corporate responsibility or a corporate social responsibility arm that's responsible for essentially being on the impact-driven side of the company, where the main business is to, you know, make money. That's a corporation. But on the other side of it, there is this need to show up as a corporate citizen, to be um, accountable to the communities and the neighborhoods and people that we do business with in really significant ways. So you've seen companies that go in and say, we're gonna just take up all things environmental or we're gonna focus on education or we're gonna focus on whatever it might be. So at JP Morgan, we have four core pillars. We have affordable housing, we have small business, we have financial health, and we also have workforce development. So as you can tell just from my story, I've touched on a, a lot, quite a bit of those, those four pillars that guide the work. And so I was um, you know, brought on board to help drive that strategy here in Los Angeles. And what that consists of is essentially being a grant maker, helping to identify organizations that are doing work that, um, that fits within our impact criteria and providing them with the resources and the support to do their work more effectively, especially at a time like this, um, post pandemic. And so, my day-to-day -day consists of meeting with grantees, meeting with other funders, talking internally, understanding where the business is at, and how it is that we can be impactful in, in sort of promoting a one JP Morgan Chase approach to companies where, I mean to communities, so where people can see us not just as the big bank coming in to make you know, to gain resources, but also a big bank that's giving of its resources in order to address some of society's most you know, urgent issues. That sounds amazing. And that sounds like really impactful work. Um, but it is quite the change from what you studied at UCLA and started your career in. So can you elaborate on what was the motivation for your change? I will, I will, I will address that twofold. So the first what I would say is that psychology at UCLA even though it wasn't preparing me to go be Jamie Lee Curtis, um, what it was preparing me for was understanding behavior, understanding human cognition, understanding motivation, intentionality, and understanding people. And so I would say that sort of a, 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 a through line between all of my different kind of career touch points is that I'm always people-focused and people-facing. So whether I'm leading organizations, whether I am leading programs or initiatives or having to engage in cross-sector collaborative work, all of that is a very heavy emphasis on people 
um, followed by strategy and direction. But you have to have the relationships. You have to understand what people's interests are. You have to understand how to move everybody interests, you know, along into one cohesive, coordinated fashion. And so the change from moving from psychology, just sort of wanting to be that Jamie Lee Curtis, was now about thinking less on the interpersonal individual and more on the ecological and sort of system-wide impact. Like, it's not about Corey meeting with this one person and therefore we're seeing their lives change in these unique ways, but it's about Corey now thinking about all of the systems and all of the uh, institutions that have a role in not just this one person's life, but in this entire neighborhood or this entire community or this entire city's life. And how do we engage at that level of change to ensure that everybody can benefit in really unique ways and in really positive ways? And so I would say that it moved from being interpersonal to being much more communal focused, which sort of feels like um, maybe a little bit more aligned with who I am, who I've always been, but I just didn't know it. So I think that's been unique. And in that, um, leading teams, having mentees, building relationships, having mentors, you do also feed those needs for the interpersonal where you're seeing people grow and change and take on new opportunities and, you know, find ways to best themselves or challenge themselves and you being a part of that encouraging and sort of celebratory counsel for them. That's great. It's um, wonderful that you've been able to find that connection from role to role and really um, expand on that human element and community and relationship building. Um, but I know oftentimes when we're thinking about making a change um, from role to role, it can be a little scary. There's a lot to think about. There's a lot of unknown, a lot of uncertainty. Can you tell us uh, what were some of the considerations that you made before you took the leap to your new role? You know, it was it was really two big reasons. Um, the first is will this make sense for my family? I have a young family. My wife and I, we have two young boys, ages four and two. And, you know, any new job that you take on is going to require that you really, you know, you're checking all the boxes, you're going overdrive, like you're doing all the things you, you know, they don't know who you are. So you have to prove yourself. Um, so one, can we as a family, can my wife be the more flexible person in terms of her job in case something comes up with the kids? As I mentioned today, you know, the daycare is closed, you know, so can can she take, you know, the youngest on, et cetera, et cetera. Because in a new job, you don't want to, you know, blur those lines. You want to be professional and continue with those relationships. So that's the first thing. The second thing was about my own purpose. And I really wait, was this the right time? Was this the time for me to get out of, you know, sort of the quote unquote trenches because I'm a real roll your sleeves up, kind of work with you, work alongside you. Like I am the worker. Um, to now be in a position where you're sort of directing resources at a different table and not touching the work as much. And I think that for me, that was the biggest psychological shift because 
the way in which you assess, you know, uh, success is different. You know, um, when you are helping people get jobs or helping to connect people to different resources or mentoring young people, whatever the thing you kind of see in real time, like, was I successful? Yes, we got them this, or we got them that, or we work with this, or we expose them to that. But when you are sort of helping to guide these longer term strategies um, and not necessarily seeing how it will play out on the ground, and you're certainly not getting that quick gratification, uh, you know, gratification, it it does feel different. You have to think about the long game differently. You have to think about how you help to change hearts and minds of others that are at the table that you're at and how do you align with them, build consensus with them, and also ensure that we're all bought in to, you know, doing all we can to achieve this vision for this bigger good that we may not even be either around the seat. Or we might have all moved into different arenas where we can't see. So basically, you have to be okay with um, planting seeds. Those are very big considerations, you know, not just a full mental mind shift, but to have that support system there too. And it sounds like you have a great support system uh, to be able to help you through this change and make sure everything was still, you know, going to be okay um, with that leap. So We've touched on your path and, you know, the nonlinear path potentially that it uh, to get to where you are today. But could you elaborate more on what the process of your change was to J.P. Morgan? So the actual process was, you know, a hiring process for starters. Um, And because it's such a large corporation, you have to interview with different businesses, different folks, um, because you're going to be working in a, you know, a, a place that literally is the size of a mid-sized city. So that's different. From a, another process perspective is me recognizing that I come from places where it was possible for me to know everything that was going on because either my positionality where I sat in leadership or just the sheer size of the organization it not being as large to realizing there's just no way that you're going to know. It's like trying to know everything that's happening in UCLA. There's just no way. It's a, it's a huge enterprise with a lot of pieces and a lot of players and everything's moving all the time. And that type of bureaucracy and that type of, um, you know, sort of laning, if you will, like this is the lane that you're responsible for and there's all these levels of approval and all these levels of different, um, you know, just sort of checks and balances, that was different. And so I had to weigh the culture that I was sort of forecasting it to be and that difference and how much of a difference I can stomach I had to weigh the um, just sort of the sheer size of the organization. Um, I had to weigh the formalities around protocols because of the size of the organization. I had to weigh, um, you know, the 
potentially the type of colleagues that I'll be working around if I'm coming from community work um, or think tank work as a very sort of certain set of folks. What is it like to work with people who are in this industry? You know, and, and, and you know, the pros and cons of that, that's, that's a whole different game that you're playing too. Um, and am I willing to learn? And how adjustable, malleable, adaptable am I um, at this point? Am I, how much bandwidth do I have for that? Um, making new friends, building a whole nother um, understanding of a completely different sector and a way that things work. So my process was both internal um, and also just being a little bit more uh, grounded in that these are just going to be differences that you're going to have to either be okay with or not be okay with. Um, so that was the process for me. Um, and, and, and because, you know, from, I think we started maybe talking maybe the end of August until maybe, and I didn't start till January. So you had a lot of time to, you know, work through those things in your head as you meet more and more people, you kind of go back, refine, sharpen, change, pivot the thinking that you had. And so it became this, this easy transition because by the time we're ready to start, it's like, okay, I think that I know who I'm going to be around, what's expected of me, and what is the culture like here? Thank you for sharing that. Um... I want to circle back, actually. Uh, you mentioned uh, previously the word purpose, and uh, especially in this new and changing world where with the pandemic, with um, social political changes, there are a lot of people out there who are trying to decide, what is my next move? What do I want my life to look like? What is my purpose? Right. Um, this is a, a two-part question for you. Um, what advice do you have for anyone who may not have found that purpose yet, but is but is seeking? And then once they've found it and they want to make a change, uh, what advice do you have for them to move towards that change? I would say become insatiable in your appetite for exposure. Take on everything, every project, every organization, every conference, every trip, just literally just feed yourself with so many things because as you all have heard from just my journey, I use the term happenstance a lot. It's typically these one-time transformative moments that makes everything clear. But in order to increase the likelihood that you will have those moments, you gotta have your hands touching about them. So especially when you are younger and trying to figure it out, or even if you are trying to refigure it out because now you want to make a change, be over everything. Meet interesting people, go to interesting places, go to conferences, read different books, look at different movies. There's so much content out there that you're just not really able to even know what you don't know until you've seen it. It's like, oh, I had no idea this was that. Like me in a whole policy school. I hadn't even heard of it. So I think that's the first thing is just to become just relentless and insatiable with like, I'm just going to consume everything because I don't know. And what I tell people is that it's okay if you, if you don't know what you like, um, as long as you also know what you don't like. 
And so I think that that is something that I would, I would say. And then once you figured it out, you double down. You put yourself on a, you know, almost like in a fishbowl. And you're like, I love this parts of this work. I love this. Okay, what do you like about it? Do you like the writing, the meeting, the talking, the program, the, the data? Like, what exactly do you like? Let's peel that back a little bit more. Where are other instances that you can look to from your past that you've liked this function similarly? Was it in, was it in grade school? You've always been like a, a, a an artist connoisseur. You like to draw. You like to paint. You to color. Were you always very particular and organized? Were you the kind of person that just liked, you know, um, to have all your ducks in a row? Are you an extroverted person or an introverted person? So being able to, to say, like, I found this one thing. And now let, let's use this lens to reevaluate everything so that I can build a bigger case as to who I might be. Not saying that I'm locking myself in, but it is saying that I'm giving myself a firm enough foundation so that I can have the self-awareness that I need so that moving forward, I can know what is, you know, sort of the best things to engage myself with that, that move me along a path. And also, what are things just not going to work? It may be cool because it's novel, but there's not going to be no stickiness to it because I'm not going to be interested a week from now. So that's what I would say. And, and I think that it's a, it's a, that's just all psychology, by the way. You go back to your childhood, you go back to think about the friends that you had, you think about some of the hobbies that you're interested in. Before the world touched you and all of these, you know, smart, strategic ways. Who are you as a carnal being? And I think that your purpose is always much more connected to that. Um, people always say, like, you know, we change and you know, we evolve every day. And we do. But I think that we oftentimes always are in process of becoming more of who we are. But who we are is lost. We put all the layers and all the different, you know, the fears, the biases, and all those things. That's just my takeaway. Do you have any advice on how to overcome that fear? Yes. Um, be bold, but also be practical. And what I mean by that is sort of a few things. When you are younger and more transient and don't have a whole lot of overhead and you can kind of move around different cities, take it. I'm a firm believer. Go and grow. Go out, go abroad. Go to a different city, try a new job over here, try a different industry, et cetera. But you got to be practical. If you're going to be changing a different sector um, or industry, but you're taking so big of a pay cut or you're going to intern and you can't afford to live where you're at, that, that's not really practical. So you have to take bold swings that also still maintain your livelihood. Um, and I think that incremental change is is what we have to wrap our heads around and be okay with as opposed to being locked in fear of both sides of the spectrum one being so locked in and so fearful of losing or of you know not having everything just kind of buttoned up that you just stay somewhere in fear or so fearful of being stuck that you're going to move around all the time as the wind blows. Because neither one of those are practical, especially not for your own happiness, though. 
Thank you for sharing. Because yeah, there you see so many people on both sides of the spectrum that are too stuck in those ways that mm-hmm. it's um, it's hard to take that leap, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also wanted to touch on something else that you said of finding out what you don't like is yes. just as important as finding out what you like. And sometimes people forget that, that it's okay to not know what you like, but to not to know what you don't like is just as important. So I think Absolutely. that's a really powerful um, reminder and piece of advice. Um, yeah. So kind of going back to your new role, we've talked a uh talked a lot about what brought you there. And now that you've been firmly in your new role, what brings you joy now that in your current role that made you realize that it was the right choice? You know what? And this is, this goes back to me also knowing who I am um, and me being this insatiable sort of curious mind around things that are just happening in the new role. You you get a chance to really see innovations and trends at a far at a level of breadth that's far further, far more ranging than I've ever had before. And so just being like, oh my gosh, they're doing this, they're doing that, they're doing this, they're doing that. Did you know? So that kind of energy really excites me because it makes me feel as if I am always on the pulse of how things are moving and what's happening. And I do like that. Um, I also like how large it is. I like that I get to meet new people literally every day, still today, uh, meeting new people and learning from them and finding points of commonality and finding points of difference and hearing their perspectives and realizing that, you know, I get to one, pressure cook some ideas that I have, somebody who may be different from me. And through that, we can find alignment or consensus. I still like that work, the same type of leadership work that I've had in the past, consensus building, coalition building, finding ways to bring people together. I get to do that now, but even just on the idea of ideas, you know, and trying to figure out where our ideas uh, sort of meet up and where they where they diverge. And so I think that those are all really exciting things. And then the last thing I'll share is beyond just the wide range view and the scope and et cetera, is that I like um, how I get to make a difference. Um, I like that I get to think about organizations that either have a relationship and want to grow it or never had a relationship with, um, you know, the bank. And we were trying to figure out how to build that relationship and bring everybody along. People that I know, organizations that I know are equally committed to investing in the way that they do into Los Angeles and building community the way that they do in Los Angeles. And us being a part of that, it feels very uh, satisfying. Well, hindsight is always twenty twenty. Uh, so thinking back on your career uh, as a whole journey uh, to your current role, uh, is there anything that you would do differently with what you know now? Mm. Ooh, a few things. Um, and let me qualify that by saying I do not believe in regrets. I don't I don't subscribe to that. Um, I think, first of all, I think that's like very dramatic 
I think that we just go through life and there's certain things we just do differently. You know better, you do better. You just do it better the next time. Um, but I will say a few things. One, I would totally study abroad at UCLA. Totally study abroad. I just didn't have anybody who really pushed that upon me. I was very campus consumed and that was enough for me. But now that I'm looking back at it, and now that I've been abroad several times, I would have studied abroad because I think that that would have helped to elevate my perspective and my lens in a way that might have helped me find my passion sooner. That's the first thing. The second thing is I would have done more internships. I would have literally used the fact that I'm a student because when you're a student, everybody wants to talk to a student, especially a Bruin. You know, you can, hi, I'm such and such. I'm a third year psychology major. Would love to pick your brain. Can we do coffee or now Zoom, you know? And everybody's willing to do that because everybody's willing to go and talk about themselves or share what they know. Or, you know, that's just a very human nature part of us. I would have done more of that. Networking through internships or just informal networking through informational interviews, et cetera that would have been a lot in terms of that consumption. Um, The third thing I would have done, and this is now outside of being uh, an undergrad, I would have probably moved sooner. I would have moved. And I don't necessarily know if I would have had to spend several years away as I've done, but maybe even a year or six months, because what that does, especially when you go to a place where you don't have a built-in support system. You have to create. You gotta create your friendships. You gotta identify your hobbies and interests. You almost have to like, you know, treat yourself as a cam a blank canvas and see what gets painted as you go along. That experience of me being I think 22 years old, moving to New York City. I wouldn't trade it because it taught me so much about myself, how I relate, how I come across to others, what I gravitate towards, what I just simply just do not like, the kind of people that, um, you know, I feel most connected to or closest to, um, the type of first impressions that really kind of make me crouch in fear and the kind of first impression that made me feel really warm and open. Like all those things um, are really helpful. Because those lenses help to shape even the way that you assess new work environments, even the way that you assess new opportunities, because we don't do anything in a vacuum. Uh, We do everything is is very people related. And so being able to understand yourself helps you to also understand others in a different way and relate to others from a place of strength and awareness that I think moving away gives you because it forces you to do it. Now, I could have easily just been like, oh, I'm just going to go back to my apartment, go to work with my apartment, go to my, you know, but why move to New York City to do that? So if I want to be out and about and learning the city and trying different, you know, foods and going to plays and all those things, you're going to have to do it with other people. And so how do you meet those folks? And on what grounds do we have common interests on? And those kind of things. And so moving. Um, and just spending some time away from your comfort zone, um, I think, goes really far, especially for a young person. 
I think that's so important. I I would uh, absolutely agree. Your comfort zone is called the comfort zone for a reason. It's comfortable, but pushing yourself to be curious and experience yeah. new things, I think is so, um, so powerful, especially at a young age too, to just be curious, be insatiable. Like you said, with learning, everything is, is so important. Um, so Thank you for answering all of our questions. We do have some fun rapid fire questions to end right. today with. So first thing that comes to mind, um, we have three questions for you. So what is a piece of media that you recently consumed? It can be a book, an article, a podcast, or a TV show. Okay. So I am reading this book right now called Take My Hand. And it's about the um, it's about sterilization of young African-American girls in the South. Um, and the reason why I'm reading it is because, one, I just I have a cue for all these random things that I like to read. But I, I really like the way in which stories are told um, through like a historical context. So I like to know who was the president at the time and what kind of policies were being pushed and what was the environment like? the demographics like and so I like to read a lot of autobiographical content for those purposes um but also on a more fun note I'm also doing um in terms of content I'm watching these shows uh I'm watching The Crown right now um because history again I guess see another thing I could have totally majored in history um I, I like it. You know, I like the story that it tells. I think it's entertaining and I'm a big fan of the crowd. I love that. I love fostering that curiosity and things that are maybe not directly related to what you do. Um, but I don't know, maybe history could be your next career pivot. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> you never know. I have a third uh, act in me. We'll yeah. <laughs> uh, for our next question, uh, what do you do for self-care? Ooh, okay. So reading is one thing I would say for self-care. Um, but also I've gotten into these getting these monthly facials. My wife hates it because I'm like very much a stickler about it. Like, look, every fourth Friday I'm getting my facial. Um, and that is my time for me. And I told her because the first time I got it, I was like, oh my God, I look like a filter you know, coming out. I'm like, I, I totally look listening. I'm like a filter right now. I'm like a dad filter. And so that's like a thing of self-care. Um, I'm really enjoying that. And then I really, um, you know, I really enjoy going out to like eat um, plays. I can even go by myself um, to those things like that type of just kind of taking things in slowly. I enjoy like, um, you know, going to a local cafe, having some coffee with my music. So those kind of things I try and bake in regularly. Um, and not just for work purposes, but just for my own, because I think it helps me to do some reflection. I love that too. I think that's so important to sometimes just have that alone time to just yeah. go to a restaurant or go to a coffee shop by yourself and have that time, like you said, to have that reflection, I think is great. Yeah. Um, and our final question, tying it back to campus, what's your favorite place on campus? Ooh, okay. Okay. So, totally a foodie remark. 
but I'm going to say it was the late night that happened on the hill. The late night, um, I forget the name of the hall, but they had these chicken wings. I really enjoyed that on campus. Um, I spent most of my time like in the community programs office and the student activity center and also more hall. But I think a lot of my like fun, exciting times was that, that late night when I was living on the hill. And even when I wasn't living on the hill, because then you found mentees who had those swipes and they'll take you up there. So I would say that was probably my, my most fun place on campus. Understandably so. I still miss those years later. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I, I still brag about it to this day. You know, I'm like, man, we did the freshman 15 right. <laughs> we didn't know how good we had it. We didn't know how good we had it. We didn't. So, yep. Oh, I love that. Well, Corey, thank you so much for a great interview and your time today. We really appreciate all of it. Um, um, And to our listeners, thank you for listening and go Bruins. Go Bruins. Thank you. Your participation supports the launch of exciting new programming that lifts the Bruin community, like the Bruin Promise, a central website showcasing UCLA-developed career and professional development, health and wellness, arts and culture, and lifelong learning resources for all stages of your life. Listen to UCLA Alumni Association President Ann Wang talk about UCLA's newest initiative. Chancellor Block has deep passion for what he calls the Bruin Promise. This means that learning out of curiosity, both in the classroom, out of the classroom, doesn't stop when you graduate but rather continues in every stage of your life as a learner. So that's really the Bruin promise through and through, that we as UCLA and as the Alumni Association are behind you, we've got your back, and we're gonna be able to provide the knowledge that comes out of this incredible university, no matter what stage you're in and what you're curious about.